Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we put the world of motoring and transport under the microscope. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including the Nissan Duke brings out an energy orange model and Honda facing some very poor sales figures takes a new approach to car buying and the ownership experience. In our interviews, we have some reflections from Kirk McGuinness, who is the PR and Group Electric Vehicle Manager for the Volkswagen Group in Australia. We report on a spin in the last of the current model, Subaru WRX STI. And Brian Smith talks about the man found to be driving in the rear back seat. And there's always more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. Well, let's get underway. Let's start with the news. The Nissan Duke, a quirky little SUV, has added to its standout exterior looks with additional levels of personalisation in the interior, including brightly coloured options for the the top-of-the-line TI model. The TI can now come with white and black leather accentuated seats, dashboard, knee pad, door trim and front armrest. Or you can have the energy orange option, which replaces the white leather with bright orange leather. It's not quite as all-encompassing as the Lexus LC sports car, which even made the interior roof lining colourful leather, which gave it the appearance of the inside of a brothel. So I'm told. All Dukes have a 1-litre three-cylinder turbocharged engine with a 7-speed dual-clutch transmission. The base model Duke, excluding on-road cost, is priced at $28,000 and the the top-of-the-range TI with either colour leather is just under $36,500. Honda is not having a good year in terms of sales, with the overall market bouncing back strongly from the COVID-affected 2020. Honda sales this year are down 25%. Their only vehicle not to decline in sales in their ongoing five-model range was the Odyssey People Mover. Honda now say they are taking the first steps in a bold new journey to lead the automotive industry in this country with a new approach to car buying and ownership experience. The key elements are a new business model in their 90 Honda centres. Note they are not calling them dealers, as they are going to use a range of different types of retail representation. A Honda price promise, which means that you get the same price offer no matter which centre you go to anywhere in Australia. This removes any bargaining, including playing one dealer against another. And there's a five-year warranty, roadside assistance and low-price servicing package. BMW Mini is giving a physical reality to some of the ideas and opportunities for future electric vehicles. The BMW Group has just launched a full-scale model of their Urbanaut electric concept that has been designed from the ground up around an electric powertrain. It's not a static model, it's drivable and steerable, albeit not yet for road registration. It will give potential customers a chance to see how the more compact electric powertrain allows for better interior space utilisation. 
taking the idea of electrification out of a hypothetical discussion into a real-world experience. And they will include elements that can entice buyers, such as fragrance, sound and ambient lighting. The model premiered on the 1st of July 2021 at the Digital Life Design Summer Conference in Munich. We're not likely to see it soon in Australia. How efficiently the traffic light control system works and appears to be working in your favour is a key component of the level of driver frustration. Transport for New South Wales has announced a major investment in SCATS, the Sydney Coordinated Adaptive Traffic System. Initially developed in the 60s and 70s, SCATS became a leader in its field and has been taken up by some 180 cities around the world. Its creation, development and maintenance has been the subject of many management fights within government and for many years it appeared to suffer from a lack of direction and technical input but remains a very clever system at its heart. There have been many suggestions on potential major upgrades, most fervently raised or dismissed amidst the numerous departmental restructures. Incorporating new technologies such as identifying traffic characteristics are under consideration. The critical issue is that development must be driven by the understanding of people and their behaviour. Understanding the technology is not enough on its own. If the government does use some or a lot of private company contract resources, as it is likely to do, then it must have enough of the right technical expertise in-house to be able to manage the project and write and manage the contracts to achieve the maximum benefit to the community. And that has been the news. The increasing momentum for more sustainable transport is making car manufacturers push further with what they produce and how they market their products and also their role within a changing societal environment. Volkswagen Group in Australia is embracing the need to do and be seen to be doing new things. And on the line we have Kurt McGuinness, their PR and Group Electric Vehicles Manager from the Volkswagen Group. G'day Kurt, thanks for your time. No problem, Dave, good to speak to you. Volkswagen has many brands, including Skoda and Seat. What have they done here in Australia in merging together the PR roles across the brands? We're, uh, we're obviously a, uh, a much bigger group than we were at the beginning of the year. We have officially merged or you know, merged with Audi Australia. Um, the Audi team uh, is, is still functioning very much um, as, as they were before. And then in terms of what we're up to, we've also launched the new brand Cupra. Hmm which is a purely performance design-driven brand um, and is the first international market where Cooper has been introduced as a standalone brand. That's sort of where, where it sort of sits in with me and uh, it's definitely keeping us busy already. <laughs> you also have, uh, under the Volkswagen Group, Bugatti, Bentley and Lamborghini. And if so, uh, I just wonder what the options might be for your company car. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Lamborghini and, and certainly Porsche and, uh, and Bugatti and, uh, some of those brands are all sort of, uh, independent. But, um, we do have, uh, the, the team from, um, Bentley Australia in our, um, offices over at Chalora at the moment. So there's always, there's always an interesting conversation come Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> you can swap cars. Talking about the Cupra. Yeah. That will have a focus on electric vehicles. 
It will, yeah. Um, so effectively what, you know, Cooper sort of promises to do and, and, and I would dare say certainly from the get go is where they're, um, where we're already heading is that they're going to do things differently. So coming in with a, uh, a lineup of performance focused petrol engines, but also with the introduction right from the get go of plug in hybrid vehicles and a, basically a commitment to uh, introduce electric vehicles um, in the coming years as well. Who are you trying to convince along the electric field? There's obviously customers, but is there also decision makers as well? It's a very interesting one with uh, with Cupra because um, Cupra, the way that we sort of see the brand is it's not just about who we're for, it's who we're not for. So, you know, the, the approach that the, um, the the Australian operation and certainly from a global standpoint has been is that we're, we're proudly not for everyone. For those who, you know, love us, we'll, we'll, we'll get it, you know, completely. So from that perspective, you know, that sort of comes from the ground up. And so we've got a product line up there that is absolutely focused in performance. I mean, all the engines that we're carrying are, you know, sort of varying outputs, but, you know, they're performance-focused cars. There's a lot of sort of attention in terms of design elements and things like that. And then, you know, of course, the the fact that we're, we're bringing in sort of the, uh, I guess, you know, the, the newer technology from the group in terms of plug-in hybrids, it's kind of a, it's an interesting one because whereas we've got Volkswagen and, and Skoda particularly that are having, you know, much more of a mainstream sort of focus and you've got a product lineup obviously in both car um, brands that go from, you know, small, small hatches right up into sort of midsize and large SUVs. So Cooper comes in with a, uh, a lineup all of its own, but, you know, very much focused onto the performance angle and the design sort of angle. Is it critical that we move away from a all or nothing one dimensional view of the future of motoring as our electric vehicles will constrain us enormously when in reality it may broaden us with great potential? The reality is the, the internal combustion engine is coming to the end of its life. Most manufacturers now are committing to embracing, you know, new sort of, um, I guess, technologies, be it electric, be it hydrogen, and, you know, have already sort of made some big sort of international commitments. But I, I think ultimately, you know, and, and certainly the way that it's looking at Australia, electric is going to have a, a much bigger proportion over time than, than, say, hydrogen will initially. But I think the reality is for all of us is that, you know, the, the, the change is coming and a lot of that is actually motivated by things like emissions and looking at the footprint that we all sort of leave, leave on the planet. It's not just greenhouse gases, it's also local pollution. If you don't believe in climate change, you should still be pushing for electric vehicles purely based on the negative impacts of local pollution. The one that I always sort of um, bring up, and, you know, it's, it's definitely sort of becoming more of a focus for what I do in my role with the, the Group EV manager side of things, is actually looking at sustainability as a whole, because electric vehicles are sort of a, a big proponent of that, but they are just sort of part of the puzzle. Um, and, you know, we all have to remember that, you know, majority of our, our schools around, you know, the country are on main roads. Yeah. So whether, you know, people sort of want to argue where the energy source is coming from, and yes, there is plan, you know, there's work being done there to make sure that that energy is sustainable as well. But the reality is that having cars driving up and down a main road out the front of a, of a school with kids breathing in, you know, the, the tailpipe fumes, it's always going to be better if we go for zero emissions. You mentioned Jaguar. 
and Hyundai's been doing a lot of work in that area. Is it a, an indication of the sincerity of the industry by the fact that they are working together in this regard? They'll compete in the open market, but that they are working together, is that an indication of sincerity? The Australian auto industry is actually very collegiate. We may sort of um, trade barbs occasionally and sort of, you know, say, well, you know, we, we should be striving for better and, and whatever. But for the most part, there is quite a bit of sort of, uh, I, I guess, cross-brand sort of, um, you know, collaboration happening. And and I think that for most brands that are, that are selling in Australia, I mean, obviously I can't speak for all of them, um, but, you know, there there really is a desire to bring about change. And, I mean, ultimately, it's a competitive advantage for all car companies to be able to sell the best and latest technology that they have available. If you were a, still a motoring journalist, do you think you would be doing road tests differently now? Do you, do you think as motoring journalists, we have the one-week unfamiliarity syndrome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We hop in a car and have to get used to it in a week. And I'm not condemning my colleagues or myself, I hope, but there are a much broader range of messages to be sending out there rather than just how fast does it go and how well does it handle? Absolutely. Um, I, I think the, you know, the, the big thing is, I mean, you know, when I was a, um, a, a journalist, well, the last time I was sort of officially writing about cars was when I was at Top Gear. Um, and Top Gear had a very sort of, Specific bent in terms of who the uh, the you know the reader was, what they were interested in, um, and so your reviews would take a certain sort of you know viewpoint. But if you're sort of uh, and you know I I would kind of you know equate what you know what you guys do in the motoring media as almost being that sort of voice of reason at the barbecue. You know, like you, everybody has a mate who is either involved in cars, has an interest in cars, or something like that, and it's no different from people that are in real estate or whatever. And you'll always sort of say, well, what do you think of this? Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of where, you know, reviews and road tests and things like that come in. Kurt, we've had a lovely chat and I do appreciate your time greatly. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Great to speak to you and, uh, you know, all the best. All right. And that's Kurt McGuinness, who is the PR and Group Electric Vehicles Manager for the Volkswagen Group here in Australia, embracing a new world, a push forward into what can be some wonderful positive benefits. You're listening to Overdrive. When I was a young lad racing around in the forest, so we did it in an old Datsun 1600 with certain engines and other things prepared in the shed up the back. The world-class rally teams were using elegant workshops and were tending to race things like the Mitsubishi Evos, which are lovely cars, but also the Subaru WRX, which of course made its name in the rally field as well. Well, the WRX has been around for a long while and has created itself a great image. This latest model is on its last legs in the sense that there's a new one soon, so we thought we'd have a farewell drive of it, and who better to do that? A man of uh, culture and class, but Alan Zervis. G'day, Alan. <laughs> Thanks, David. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever said anything so nice about me. <laughs> I noticed you laughed spontaneously. Well, it was, I couldn't really help myself. It seemed so wide of the mark. WRX, the STI we had, which is the one with the, a bulge in the bonnet and a huge big wing out the back. Is it a vehicle that appeals to your sense of presence? 
it appeals to my sense of jaunty, fake Burberry cap-wearing chavness. That's what it does. It's And in fact, we had the R-spec, so it's the, the very top uh, with a few extra bits and bobs inside, lovely seats and all of that sort. And red stitching, David, it's got red stitching, which is very important. That must make it go better in rallies, surely. You do get respect, you know, you're driving around the street and people may not know exactly what it is, but they still look and those that do know what it is, hmm. you know, there's a certain, uh, I don't know, you know, the, the sort of chest thump, uh, thumbs up kind of thing. Oh, it certainly got a fraternity to it. Years ago, I discovered that when I parked it in a, you know, a shopping centre street on the side of the road and a young lad's eyes went wide open as he looked at the front with the distinctive, as I say, bulge in the bonnet. But he rushed to the back to see if it was one of the genuine STIs with the huge big wing. We're talking about a wing here that would suit any sort of race car. And a dining table, David. I think it would make a jolly nice dining table. It's huge. <laughs> you can get it without the wing. You can specify that. But also, I think, is there still one with a little wing on there? But, I mean, size does count, doesn't it, Alan? Uh, well, I think you'll find the little wing models are the regular WRXs. I think if you option the STI without the wing, I don't think it comes with any spoiler at all. Ah. But the R-Spec only comes with the wing. The Subaru is an oldie but a goodie. It gets it from a two and a half litre engine, bit of power. Its uh, major problem then is its fuel consumption, which is particularly high. But it just has that wonderful feel, even to the point, of course, it's almost on and off, so that if you're in sports mode, it's pretty hard to take off from the lights smoothly. It's got a couple of modes, and I think Sports Plus is what we tried it in briefly, which was pretty brave given that the, you know, there was a little bit of dampness on the road from time to time. Uh, but it's 20, 221 kilowatts and 407 newton metres, which even the symmetrical all-wheel drive and all the fancy electronics, it had a lot of trouble reining that in. You've got to be very careful with it, I think. You can get what I call plough understeer. You go into a corner, if you hit it too hard or turn it in too aggressively, something like just understeer and power its way into that. Setting it up for a corner, I think, is particularly important. It is, of course, a manual, six-speed. Yeah, it took me a little while to get back into that. It's not often we actually get to drive a manual. Well, if I'd taken a, uh, a a milkshake in a container with me, I'd have been able to get it mixed up while you were taking off some lights, I reckon. <laughs> the outside is not just the bulging front and the huge wing on the back on the side and the wheels. Do they look good? The wheels look sensational. They really do. But it's not just that. There's these bright yellow Brembo brake calipers that you can see through the wheels, which seems to make them kind of, you know, sort of dance as the wheels slowly start to move. It's really impressive. 19-inch wheels they are with a space saver spare. What's it worth? 59,440 for the top spec R, or R spec, I should say. Plus on road. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, look, it's around the same price uh, or within QE of that uh, Yaris that we spoke of, the GR Yaris. Hmm. But I tell you what, I know which one I'd rather have. You'd take this one? You know, the GR Yaris, we loved it, don't get me wrong, but inside was, look, there's no other word for it. It's nasty. <laughs> you know, let's let's be honest, it's nasty. And, of course, they've just suspended uh, production, or, or should I say suspended taking orders for them. Because they can't get them? 
Yeah, because they can't supply. There's a 1,700-odd so far deliveries. But uh, the popularity has been such that, um, you know, they just can't keep up. And, of course, Australia is such a small market, so we're way down the end. So, look, I'd try and scrounge around and get an STI before they run out. The remarkable thing is that the actual price of these WRXs, in real terms, has been going down over the years. When we first bought them, I think they were still around the $60,000 anyway, back when that was worth a different amount of money than it's worth now. So yeah. uh, I think that it's a reflection in many ways of the modern trend of being able to do things better and cheaper. It doesn't have a lot of those active safety features and driver assistance features. So the cruise control is not active and the blind spot monitor isn't active. The reason for that is it doesn't have electric power steering. But because it's manual, it can't have eyesight either, which is Subaru's safety suite. So there's no... Uh, of the of the um, autonomous features. Alan, always uh, good to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure, David. Thanks for having me. And that's Alan Service from GayCarboys.com, where you can get his rather unusual look and uh, nonetheless passionate and informed look at uh, motoring and transport. You're listening to Overdrive. Launched late in 2020, the Genesis GV8 is a large SUV. It comes in multiple choices with either five or seven seat configuration, four variants along with three engines and an optional luxury pack. We drove the 3.5 litre all-wheel drive version powered by a V6 petrol engine, produces about 280 kilowatts and 530 newton meters. There's an eight-speed automatic transmission and all-wheel drive. It's reasonably quick going from 0 to 105.5 seconds, but it's also thirsty at the fuel pump. With Australian-tuned adaptive suspension, it's smooth and comfortable and has a sporting edge when arced. As you would expect, the GV80 is packed with almost every conceivable safety and luxury feature. It's like a lounge room on wheels. Little luxuries like heated and cooled Nappa leather seats front and back, massage function for the front occupants, and a 12-inch head-up display and 14.5-inch central touchscreen keep all the information needed within easy sight. The GV80 3.5 V6 all-wheel drive with luxury pack is priced from around $120,000 plus the usual costs. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia. And we're back again this weekend at the end of the program. Why not talk a little bit of the more unusual stories and our good friend Brian Smith. Go, Brian. G'day, David. Tell me about California and Tesla. Well, yes, um, we're always talking about driverless cars, aren't we? And, mm. um, and Tesla in particular has done um, a lot to sort of uh, examine and investigate and, and test a whole bunch of uh, of driver assistance tools, in fact, going you know almost all the way uh, towards full self-driving systems. Now, and promote. Been... You've and... <laughs> developed, test, and promote. I think promote. Is... And in fact, testing is the, the buyers of Tesla cars seems to be seem to be the main testing uh, kind of um, crash test dummies that uh, the company uses. Strangely, but uh, look, Teslas operate uh, or offer some various levels of um, self-driving assistance or driving assistance. They've got uh, an autopilot and uh, even a full self-driving system, which is being tested. Now, a, a gentleman um, in California whose name was uh, Param Sharma, 25-year-old, he was arrested uh, for alleged reckless driving and disobeying a police officer. So the, the highway patrol pulled him over after multiple emergency calls were made by drivers reporting 
a person seated in the back seat of a Tesla Model 3 and no one in the driver's seat while the vehicle travelled on Interstate 80 across the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. And so motorcycle police would actually um, spotted the vehicle, pulled the vehicle over, confirmed that the, the only person in the vehicle was in the back, um, took action to stop the car. Now, this involved uh, the occupant, occupant moving to the driver's seat and stopping. Uh, and then uh, he was arrested. So um, he's, uh, it's illegal not to be in charge of the car, and uh, it's not clear yet whether he was using the, the full self-driving system, but it, what an incredibly reckless thing to do. Even Tesla's manual, owner's manual, says you know systems are not autonomous and that drivers have to be ready to intervene at any time, which I would suggest you can't do from the back seat. He's, uh, he's not very... Um, shy about it though he was released from uh, Alameda County's Santa Rita jail and immediately said he gave an interview to say that uh, riding in the back seat's not dangerous he's going to continue to do it and after his car was charged he was going to get right back in the back seat and drive away uh, he's a big supporter of Elon Musk ah there's almost a cult-like thing there isn't there and of course the thing of any cult is that what they do is perfect and can never be faulted and you can't find anything that's wrong with them. I wonder if it's not the equivalent of not wearing a mask at the height of a pandemic or not getting vaccinated. Yeah. I have a right, even if it kills other people. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredibly selfish thing. But, but you know, Musk himself, I think, is often criticised for that fatal flaw of being a self-centred um, person. Uh, Sharma said that uh, Elon Musk really knows what he's doing and, and he thinks that people are tripping and they're scared and that uh, he considers himself, because he doesn't fill up with petrol, to be a gold-collar person rather than a blue-collar person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has more trouble. Than... Can we sue him? <laughs> well, what's the penalty if he kills someone? Well, that's a very good question. It's not premeditated, but it's certainly recklessness. A manslaughter or something like that. What I'm intrigued about, David, is how do you get the car started? If from the back seat. I, I don't know whether they're voice controlled, but I guess he would have to start the car in the front seat and then scramble into the back, which seems an incredible thing to do. Why? Why ride in the back seat? Is it yes. more roomy or, or No no. He 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 wants to feel like he's being chauffeured. Yeah, he's making a statement, I suppose. Yeah. It's the only way he can he can afford to being chauffeured. Can't afford to employ anybody. Yeah. Of course the Tesla system is it is easy to trick. And so while on page whatever of the manual it says, oh, and by the way, don't rely on it, you must remain in control, that's not necessarily the public image. No, that's right, yes. The pub image that's going around of this wonderful guy, Tesla, that's sticking it up the government. Yeah. Of course, that system has killed quite a few people mm. uh, because it's failed to recognise obstacles in the road, including a person walking their bicycle across the road and semi-trailers crossing the road where Teslas have been driven underneath it by the autopilot system because they can't pick up something. Yeah, and the driver's not really paying attention. They're reading magazines and such like. No. Uh, of all the cars I've tested, Brian, there's none that has given me total confidence uh, to be able to do it. 
Brian, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome, David. That's Brian Smith, who is a traffic planner and former traffic engineer and expert in many things, but also in looking with an acerbic eye at some of the silly stories that come from around the world in motoring and transport. This is Overdrive across Australia. The Mazda MX-30 was launched earlier this year as a mild hybrid with a fully electric version coming later and is now available by order. The first thing you notice is the unusual design that either people seem to like or dislike. It's neither an SUV, wagon nor a hatchback. It is a four-door design but with rear suicide doors and a large boot and a long bonnet. has a distinctive grille and front lighting area. Initially there are three mild hybrid models with one engine and transmission. The MX-30 hybrid range combines a 114-kilowatt 2.0-litre petrol engine with Mazda's own mild hybrid system. The system sends drive to the front wheels via a 6-speed automatic transmission. There is no electric-only drive in this version. It is typical of all Mazda cars in that it is put together well, quiet, rides well and does nothing wrong. It is, however, very confusing as to why it is actually designed. It appears to be very different for different sake. Price from just under $34,000 per the usual cost, it will be interesting to see if buyers' appetite for something so different. I'm Rob Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Kirk McGuinness, Alan Zervis, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for the help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And you can get all the information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.